0: Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections at the UAA-APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. This is Episode 3 of Season 2, our reboot of the podcast for Archives Month 2021. I'm Arlene. I'm one of the two archivists here at the Consortium Library. In this episode, I'll be talking with Karen Gray and Leah Geibel. They're at the Alaska State Archives in Juneau. The conversation wanders a bit, as tends to happen when I'm involved, but we talk about what the State Archives is and what they do and some projects they have going on. But we'll start out the podcast with introductions. Karen, why don't we start with you introducing yourself?
1: Okay, well, hello, I am Karen Gray, I am the state archivist for the Alaska State Archives. And what I do here is I am primarily an administrator of the program and oversee all the units that are here at the State Archives, which include what we consider the traditional archives, uh, the records that we that make up our collections. But we also run a records management division, uh, which services executive branch agencies, and sometimes judiciary and legislative agencies also, and sets retention for state records. And then we have an imaging and microfilm unit too, so we can reformat those records to meet everybody's needs for access and space reduction. So I primarily oversee all of those programs. Leah. Hi,
2: I am Leah Geibel and I am one of the archivists who works for the State Archives. Um, I do a few different things here. Um, My main role I would say is reference and but I also am involved in um, accessioning and getting those permanent records from state agencies um, as well as some outreach and education.
0: Okay, so we've talked. You've already kind of led into the next thing. I love segues, but but let's let's do a little more scene setting. Um, you're with the Alaska State Archives. Before I came to the university world, I actually worked at the Utah State Archives and Records Service, and what I discovered there is that a lot of people don't know a lot about how different state archives are from other archives that are just kind of around the place. So you've talked a little bit about your mission but why don't you just spend a little more time talking about how you really differ from how maybe other archives in Alaska function.
1: Yeah so I have actually yes worked for two different state archives and I agree with you there that government archives truly are different than most of the other repositories here in Alaska, that I have visited, and I've looked at the collections, we collect those records that are created by government entities. And we we service those records to the citizen, we're here to to preserve those and make them available to all Alaskan residents. But we do not take records that were created by private citizens so we don't have private collections or publications or records from local government or federal government we only collect those from currently from state government we're also allowed to collect records from district and territorial government of Alaska And the Russian government period from uh, prior to 1867. And those are very specific requirements set out in statute. Okay. So how are we different? (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're, we're actually preserving those records that were created during the course of business, you know, by government officials on behalf of the people of Alaska. And we we do want to collect these records, so that we can show how decisions were made by our officials uh, to take the state forward in the directions that we have gone in and how policies have been set. So it's, it's usually a very different mission than repositories who collect local history and document their communities. Right. So, but you obviously can't keep everything. I mean,
0: you think of every piece of paper that's ever gone through a state government (laughs) office from, you know, whether it's my voter registration or my my annual, -annual, semi-annual car registration, you know. I assume some of that might get recorded in some fashion, but you're probably not keeping the receipts that I, for my paying for my car registration.
1: (laughs) Well, that's where the records management division comes in. So they actually look at every single type of record the state makes, and that includes every way in which you, as a citizen, interact with state government. And as we look at each one of those record types, we decide whether it has long-term historic value or not. And of all the government records that are created, only two to 3% of those records end up in the state archives. So considering we've got 26,000 cubic feet of analog (laughs) records and 80 terabytes of, of digital records, that's representing only 2 to 3% of everything that's created by the state. So we're not keeping your receipts for your driver's license. <laughs> but records management is saying how long those receipts have to be kept or how long your driver's license record has to be kept. But no, those aren't historic and we're not keeping those. Your votes, however, your election records are being kept. Okay, so that, yeah, so we can document, you know, the elections that the people of Alaska voted in. So so what were those outcomes of those elections? And um, we, we do have those records. But yeah, very few records we keep compared to everything that is created.
0: Well, and I you know, you just talked a little bit about your volume, and I think even with that two percent, three percent, whatever it is, you're still probably double the size of almost every other archive. <laughs> Some of the biggest archives in this state, just by volume. <laughs> yes.
1: Just by volume. And I, you know, I, I, we, we have microfilm and microfiche that we haven't even counted. And, you know, there's, they're going to be in the hundreds of thousands of rolls of microfilm. Uh, there's just so much. <laughs> right. So much. Right.
0: Well, my next question is um, may- maybe Leah can tackle this one <laughs> with <her> a <laughs> role in reference. So in a lot of states, I think particularly the eastern states, the state archives tends to see a lot of genealogists, for example. But when I was in Utah, going back to that moment, um, we actually didn't see a lot of genealogists. There were other genealogically based organizations in the area that kind of covered that. But about 30 to 40% of our users in Utah were attorneys doing legislative intent research. Now, I know that the Legislative Information Office probably handles some of those. Um, So you may not see those. We didn't have the equivalent in Utah. What kind of researchers do you
2: get? Um, I would say, so we do get researchers uh, focusing on the legislation, um, but we also do get, I'd say, a, a very good amount, high percentage of genealogy.
0: Okay.
2: I'd say that is, um, uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe at least, 50%. at least, yeah, yeah, probably it's around 50% of what we get in are genealogists or family, you know, just family looking for Birth, death, marriage records, um, and we actually have had a uh, an ongoing project that. Karen knows more about than I do, but um, we've been working in partnership with FamilySearch um, and they've been digitizing all of our vital statistic records. They are almost finished. Um, and then they're making those available for free on their website um, and indexing them. So we've actually, the the process of serving our records has become a lot easier, which has been great. <laughs> um, but also we see like different, um, we get a lot of, uh, I'd say one of our other most frequent requests or research topics are our board of fisheries uh, oh, files. Yeah. Um, Why would that be? Oh, um, well, I <laughs> I'm guessing that uh, yeah the regulations um, oh. as you know yeah so we have all of those um, all of the board of fishing game um, meeting meetings recordings. Going back to the territorial period, Uh, and so a lot of people who are doing research on the regulations that are that come up currently, you know, there's been some kind of discussion in past board meetings. So we get a lot of researchers looking into those historic board meetings, um, which I find very interesting. I always like when we get those kind of questions because I found, you know, I've only moved to Alaska in the last five years. And kind of learning the state's history um, through reference requests has been really mm-hmm. fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of, of the archivists in the state have learned Alaska history through that method, <laughs> even the ones from here, because it, there's just so much in the records. It's, it's a rather <laughs> peculiar way to learn the state's history, because it, it tends to be kind of a more grassroots Um, from the the specific to the general rather than (laughs) how people usually (laughs) teach it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's been really interesting. I'll say that. I never get bored.
1: (laughs) And I think that a lot of, like, along the lines of the fisheries, some of the other requests we get aren't necessarily legal requests, but they are people doing research on current topics and looking at the intent behind those laws so eventually it may lead to further you know litigation or change in laws and regulations right that affect citizens based on you know we we do have quite a bit of that type of research going on too
0: okay and you of course have court records and the railroad records i mean i those are a lot of things that people don't really, I, I think, immediately think of of you having, but you do. As part yep. of that huge volume of materials. What would you, what is your most recent? This is always a good question because, you know, people always think of archives as old and that's a bad thing to think of, especially with a place like you, who is taking in inactive government records that can be fairly recent. How how recent do your whole things run? I mean, do you have things when, from last year that have been
1: transferred to you or five years ago? We get vital records on a monthly basis. I'd say those are our most recent births and marriages and deaths. They're confidential records. Okay. But on a monthly basis, we do receive uh, the previous month's <laughs> records.
0: Oh, interesting. I hadn't realized that you were actually the repository for them that currently. So if somebody's placing like a vital records order for a death certificate from a year and a half ago, would that be something that goes through you or does that go
1: through the Office of Vital Records? Goes through the Office of Vital Records. So what we're receiving is in effect, a disaster recovery copy, Ah, which does become the record when it has met its 50-year or 100-year confidentiality, uh,
2: reten- you know,
1: on it. But we do receive those records fairly quickly after they've been created. I'd say probably those would be the most. Yeah, they're just not public. The newest, <laughs> They're not public <laughs> records. So, so we're one of those agencies, one of those archives where just... Because we have it doesn't mean it's open and public. Right. Not all records are public records that are created by the state. And it, it, we wish they all were. It would make <laughs> it a lot easier to as everybody. But they aren't. Gotcha. So, so those would truly be our, our newest records. Okay. Um, other than that, she was Leah. What do you think? think? I mean, some things might be five years old by the time they get here.
2: Yeah, I was, <laughs> I just pulled up our uh, register. <laughs> I was like, oh, what were the <laughs> most recent things we got? Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, so we, let's see here. Yeah, I'd say we get things, I would say, like, probably earliest is five years. Um, a lot of times, especially if it's um, like only a box or so of materials agencies might hold on to them a little bit longer, especially if they're shipping them Mm -hmm. uh, in office uh, before they, so they can send us more than one thing at a time. But that, that really just depends on them. I would say we don't have, I guess we have a way, we don't have a great way I think of tracking what's in office if it hasn't been sent to a record center prior to coming to us. So you know we kind of have an idea of what we're getting in the future if it's say it has to be stored for 50 years or 15 years, um, you know that'll go to a record center and then to us and we have a record of that. But as far as records that are created and then stored in office, um, sometimes we just we have no idea and people will just call us out of the blue and say, hey, like we just got um, last year. I have almost 30 boxes. I think 30 cubic feet of um, Department of Transportation photographs mm. and and project files uh, that just happened to be sitting in some filing cabinets. And somebody was like, "We don't have the space for this anymore." Um, so you know, <laughs> there's an example of something we got recently, but spans um, a huge period of time, and you know, we had no idea existed until somebody was like, "Is this is this something you would want?" <laughs> You know what? I just thought
0: of about five different researchers that I need to put in contact with you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of roads research that goes on, and that's part of DOT's mission. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, tons of maps, tons of uh, architectural drawings for past projects. Uh, Yeah, we have a lot. (laughs) Good. Good to know. Tons
1: of things for the roadless (laughs) rules.
0: yeah wow. Um, yeah. so you know, this is this is an oddball question, and it may not be fair to do to you without any forewarning whatsoever. but since we were on the topic of most recents, so let's take that to the opposite extreme. Um, what is your oldest record? or near oldest <gasps> record? Obviously narrowing it down to one can be a little tough at times.
1: That's a darn good question too. I'm wondering. Last year, we were actually given the college diploma of our first governor. So, of our oh first territorial goodness. governor. Oh my goodness. And the Heinzelman thinks, but we really don't have any of the so-called Russian government records. Okay. Unless... I, I mean, uh, records were just not kept behind. <laughs> right, right. And, and and those few records that did exist ended up at the National Archives okay. and Records Administration. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm thinking uh, the only thing I can think of that I've seen recently is um, some old indexes from some russian churches that record Mm -hmm. vital statistics Mm -hmm. um and we only have like one or two of these and i i think they're copies of the original i don't think they're the original document itself and that just as far from a genealogical standpoint you know we do have some church records that record those vital statistics of people that were here earlier but um yeah i don't I feel like our records don't really pick up until, like, we don't have like a significant amount until, you know, the night until, I guess, the territorial government. Right. Yeah. There's, well, I mean, yeah.
0: that's that useful part about archival description, where with date spans you have the inclusive dates, which is everything, and then you have the bulk dates, which is really what you have. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That yeah. one document from 30 years prior, there's only one, you know, right. it's just like you don't give anybody the wrong sense of what's really there. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, one of the projects I know you guys have been working on for a while now, and I I really do want to learn more about it because I, I want to steal it, more or less, um, <laughs> as a concept. But you have been working on a project related to teaching with primary sources, I believe, for K-12, to kindergarten to high school, or is
2: it more
0: limited within there? Is it junior high, middle school, high school?
2: I'd say our focus, and that's only because... I don't have a background, you know, we don't, I don't, we don't have teaching backgrounds. Um, (laughs) and So it is a little bit easier to focus on the age range that's closer to the, you know, the older kids. Um, But yeah, uh, I would say, you know, our, we have worked with classes all the way to fourth grade. Before, but I would say our primary focus is middle through high school, Um, and that's really, and that I think spans from our involvement in the National History Day competition and seeing Mm -hmm. a need for for kids accessing primary sources in that manner.
0: So, so tell me about this project. Are you creating like things that can be inserted into curriculum, or are you actually creating curriculum, or what, what What is it? We,
2: <laughs> I feel we like would we, love to create yeah. curriculum. <laughs> we would <laughs> love to do that. Yeah, right. um, I feel like what we started out with has morphed a little bit uh, over the past year in particular with uh, COVID, but also mm-hmm. with some staffing changes. And so the I think the original idea of the program was that you know, we wanted to provide more access to archival collections, especially in middle and high school. And our thought was to reproduce documents from our collections, um, basically creating little packets or, you know, little document boxes that we could then send out to schools across the state. um, And that would expose the teachers could use so they could check them out from their school library, um, depending on what they were teaching that week. Um, and then they could introduce, you know, some primary sources to go along with their lessons. Uh, and the idea of it being physical is just, I think, you know, different kids have different ways of learning. And I think that a lot of the time having something that you can touch in front of you and and examine, even if it's not the original itself, uh, really drives home what you're looking at as opposed Mm -hmm. to looking at like a digital copy of it on your computer screen. It makes it more real. It does. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe a middle schooler, high schooler, you know, looking at that will say, like, oh, you know, I never I never thought about these kind of documents before. You know, it separates it from the history book page, I think. Right. But we have had we started kind of doing these digital guides on our website. Um because we just we didn't have <laughs> we don't have the resources to put together these boxes yet, although I think it's something that we would definitely still like to do in the future. and we definitely have um, we do have some resources. We don't have like postage yet or you know we haven't started creating the reproductions yet. but um, we have been creating kind of small primary source guides on our website. so at least digitally, students and teachers can access these resources. And that was really born from um, the National History Day competition and um, seeing a need that kids, you know, there's VILDA obviously, Alaska's Digital Archives, which has a great amount of resources on it. Um, And we were just trying to kind of, I guess, curate uh, more specific to the archives, little guides that would help help them from that step of, oh, I'm interested in this, in doing my project on this topic, and then getting overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, you know, here's a Google search, or here's even a search on Alaska's <laughs> digital archives that might result in 500 different things. Um, so just trying to give them like a little smattering of resources to start with before they branch out into, into other places
0: right yeah I mean the digital archives has a lot of good things on it I am probably a little biased in that regard but I will admit it is photograph heavy um you know it's got about 100,000 items in it and I want to say currently 98,000 of those are mm-hmm. images um so <laughs> which is so, great
2: well, it's brilliant. so many things yeah it
0: is so brilliant but but honestly I I think maybe and maybe I'm underestimating our middle schoolers and high schoolers and yes I probably am underestimating our middle schoolers and high schoolers sometimes it's hard to treat a photograph as a source document Mm -hmm. Um, it's easier to deal with an actual textual document that has words and things like that 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 can make some of those things we still even now I fall into the kind of Brain pattern where a photograph is an illustration and not a document in of itself, mm-hmm. even though I know better. And so sometimes having documents in a kind of a prepackaged method is is a better way to provide
2: materials
0: because photographs can be interestingly charged, and that gets into some nuances. it's like how soon do you want to start teaching that?
2: <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, I'd like. <sighs> Yeah, I think I agree with that exactly. Like, it can be a lot more straightforward reading the words than interpreting an image.
1: Yet we have heard stories regarding Alaska's digital archives and a few images that our staff put on Alaska's digital archives. And it's just such a good illustration of how the records were created with a particular use in mind and now are being used so differently mm. and those go back you had mentioned the alaska railroad which we do have the records for now but one of our archivists found some pictures from the 40s and 50s of glaciers mm-hmm. where the railroad was going to be built and they were trying to the intent of these photographs was to show where the floodplains would be mm. for you know where do they want to build the tracks or not so he did digitize these these images put them online and uh, in alaska's digital archives where they were found by current day climatologists <laughs> yes so you know For us, it just shows how records can change in usage over time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how are people going to use them now? Those images? Yes. It's how are they interpreting them now?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and even like birth and death certificates, that's Mm -hmm. because most people do use them for genealogical purposes. But for the most part, they were created for public health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was really the impetus tracking mortality rates was why birth and death certificates came to be in a lot of the U.S. And it does help when you're looking at it then to remember, oh, that's why this photograph is from this angle. Oh, that's why this document may be trustworthy for this one thing, but not for something else. Because the people creating it weren't thinking about the way we're, our researchers are currently using them now. I I had to give that speech a lot in Utah about birth and death
1: certificates. (laughs) Okay, you know, and it's interesting here in Alaska, we have a lot of those birth and death certificates because in 1884, when they created the, the first district court and the commissioner and the judge and the marshal, they were all appointed by the president of the United States they were also ex officio recorders. So they recorded the births and the deaths. There wasn't a vital statistics department hanging out out there. So a lot of the birth, marriage, and death records that we have come to us from 1884 till 1959 through the court system. Oh, and that's
0: really interesting, too, because... You know, for most of the U.S., it really is kind of that period between 1898 and 1905 when birth and death certificates really start. Marriages are older than that because they're illegal. You know, those those are a, that's a legal, That's a defined by law relationship. You can see the courts involved in that. But birth and death gets a little more squirrely for a court relationship, so that's interesting. I never would have realized that. See, mm-hmm. you taught me something. This is good. <laughs> so, yes, so getting back <laughs> <laughs> getting back a little bit to the, the teaching of primary sources thing the 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 guides that you're creating what kinds of subjects are they on are they based on what the the national history day has going on for the year's theme are they more general are they types of questions you see a lot how how are you kind of what are you bouncing off of to create those
2: um a few different things so, uh we do look at the the theme, the national theme for the year and try to pull together, you know, some some topics that we might expect interest in. But I would say mostly we've chosen some pretty popular, just generally popular topics that might be covered because we also have our, um, you know, we have the teachers in mind. So some things that just might be covered in, uh, in the curriculum for Alaskan history. Mm-hmm. And I am pulling up our website right now. <laughs> good, <laughs> I'm like, good. What? What yeah, do you we have?
0: Oh well, yeah, I didn't. You know, nothing. my early warning system is probably not functioning right now, so you weren't. No, no that
2: question. <laughs> no. Um. So we have. Uh, so we have like the Anti Discrimination Act of 1945. We have the CRM run of 1925, we have Japanese internment during World War II, um, the Alley relocation in World War II, boarding schools, World War One and the Alaskan Spirit, the Experience, and the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Okay. Um, so we don't have an extensive, it's something that I enjoy working on that is not necessarily a core function of what we do.
0: (laughs) Well except for by the time you've 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 hit the 15th researcher who's asking a similar question right you do do kind of have that list Mm pre-populated so it's it's always good to get it out there in writing that's we have a number of subject guides too and that's where they all generated from was we just kept finding ourselves dealing with people dealing with the same broad topic. Mm-hmm. We don't really get super hyper specific on a specific angle, but yeah, we have a we have an Exxon Valdez oil spill guide star collections to the 1964 earthquake is another one we have a lot of questions about. That's one that, that I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was very definitely South Central Alaska, so that makes a little mm-hmm. more sense for us. Um, but
2: you have a lot of government
0: records about that event, of course.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, not, and I guess that's kind of um, you know we do get a lot of researchers I think who maybe because we're located in Juneau, think that our collections are heavily like southeast, um, oh, but they're okay. not. You know, they're it's it's anything that's created by the state. So um, we have a pretty good a pretty good spread geographically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that's also easy to forget about, you guys, and it's it's just that reminder to that you have such a different mission than, than so many other archives in this mm-hmm. state. You you have the whole state, the government part of the state, but geographically, it's the whole state. Mm-hmm. If there is anything you want to say as a closing mark, or you know, any last words,
1: thank you for coming. Yeah, <laughs>
2: like, thanks for interviewing us, and uh, if there's. I a- do th- I think it is, you know, our mission is so different, as we keep saying that. uh, And we do get, I think we get confused a lot with, um, because you were with the State Library Historical Collections, Mm -hmm. which has a similar collection, but not, you know, we support each other, I think, with a lot of different topics, but very different collections and anything that we can do outreach-wise to really, you know, drive it home. What it is we have and like what we can do for researchers helps. So yeah, this is great. Thank you good for doing good. this. Good. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much to Leanne and Karen for spending time with me online so we could record this and for sharing so much about what they do and why it's so important. If you're interested in more information about the state archives, check out our podcast page for a link to their site and to the other things we discussed in this recording. For more of our Season 2 episodes, keep an eye on that podcast page. We'll be releasing new ones at least twice a week, all month.